Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session two, the new creature. And so I, I like the mental picture of this black, you know, this creature that is carrying us and has us in his grip. And then we have Jesus over here that has done the work to literally conk the head of the old creature. And then Jesus says, get out of his grip. You're free. He's been crushed. That head no longer has any authority over you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That is a statement of fact. So if you are in Christ, let me ask you guys a question. What's your position? So then it follows that you are, in fact, a new creature, because that is the definition of it. Now, you could immediately say, but I don't feel like I'm living the way I should. Well, here's the key. You, ha- you are a new creature by being translated from the kingdom of darkness, which was this first, into the kingdom of the beloved dear son. And so by faith, you have transferred, and now you have access to a new life. All that is available in Christ is yours. Functionally speaking, not just for big S saving, but for every day you can be saved from all the little things you used to deal with with the old creature. The old creature used to control your eyes. He used to control your mouth. He used to control your ears. He used to control your heart, your mind, and your thinking. All of these things were superimposed over you, but that grip has been removed. And now you are in God's grip. Are you willing to yield your eyes to him? Are you willing to yield your mouth, your ears, your heart, and your mind to allow him to now superimpose, to actually express the glory of God and the image of the creator in and through your body? But God forbid, says Paul again in Galatians, that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me. So if you want to look at this, by whom that old life, that which I was once subjected to, I have been cut off from it in Christ and in the work of his cross. And I unto the world, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. It's not what I can do with my own hands. That means anything in Christ. It's what he has done on that cross. That's where we put our confidence And so this is the final statement. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. That's what works. He has done it. He is the new creation, truly. He's the resurrected one, and we are in him. And as a result, when we put our trust in him, we too are resurrected unto a new life, unto a new man, unto a new creature in Christ Jesus. The old creature, sorry to bring him up again. I thought we got rid of this guy. Okay, so this is the way we pop out of the womb. This is the old creature. It is a body, but it is ruled by something. You see, the reason this body has gone south, and the reason it's not functioning, the reason it's void of light and life, love, kindness, joy, peace, all the good stuff, is because of that head. The head is self. Self, the big eye, has stood up, and it has said, mine, my body, my life, and as a result, it dies. And that's what Jesus said. That's what God says in the very beginning. He says, the day in which you eat of this tree, the day in which you inflate eye, is the day in which you die. And certainly, he was true. Uh, The flesh is alive. The old creature controls. And the soul, which is us, mind, will, and emotions, that's us. We are subjected to something. We are in the grip of the creature. And the spirit, that which could save us, that which could enable this body to function as it ought, is dead, which leaves us in the grip of the flesh. And as a result, there's nothing in this domain of our life, or, you know, if you were looking at it this way, down here, to draw from to change our our issue, our situation in life. We're sunk because we can't save ourselves from this problem. So the new creature. 
When we enter into Christ, I become small. And when I become small, Christ becomes the head. Who's the head of the church? It's Jesus. And so we are all the new creature. We are the new creation. We are banded together as called the body of Christ. And who's the head? He is. Who's in control? He is. And so when we become a small eye and we enter and humble ourselves and repent of this old life, say, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. Well, then suddenly that which was dead is now alive in us. It's a new man, and that's what controls us. We are now controlled by a heavenly body, by Jesus Christ himself. And he now takes our physical body, and, which is our minds, will, and emotions, and physical attributes, and he begins to cause them to work. We are now submitted in every regard, and the flesh, or this portion of us, no longer controls us. Its head has been crushed. So, spirit alive, the soul is free, and the flesh is dead. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, when you enter into this life, you now have new clothing. So now, I, I don't know if, you, if, if the spots are clear, okay? Old creature, physical creature, just like our body, which is good, and it was created good. However, it's a tool in this whole spiritual battle. By the way, you're not your body. Your body isn't eternal, but you are. So you have to choose where you're going to live. You can't, you don't just live in a body, this physical one. You actually live either here or here. And so you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You see, you're an eternal being. And if you're in Adam, you will reap Adam's destiny. You will gain Adam's reward, which is death. The wages of living in the creature is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of righteousness is life eternal. But it's not your righteousness. You don't need to actually work it. You need to believe. You need to turn and allow his work of righteousness to be yours. So what it says is that we are changed. When we are in Christ, we are being changed. We are being grown up. So this body is actually more and more being refined, no longer by this, but by this. It's called sanctification. So now this life, just think about this. We enter into Christ... And now, because we're in a new man, the Holy Spirit can make this his dwelling place. And as a result, we become literally the dwelling place or the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's what changes us, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The anatomy of the new creature. We're going to call this the spirit man, okay? See how strong he is? Isn't that powerful? Don't you want to be the spiritual man? This is the new creature in Christ Jesus. So the spirit man, now remember... Old creature here, it's actually like a physical body. It's not just a black sheet. It's like a spiritual body, but it's the anti-spirit. It's the anti-light. It's the anti-life. And then you have your physical body. Your physical body has been impaired and been ruled by something your entire life. You know that you are always ruled by something. Always. God created you that way. And as a result, it has everything to do with who you are in. And so if you're in Adam then your physical body is actually behaving like Adam because Adam is stronger than your physical body. Well, the same is true with the new man. The new man is stronger than your physical body. So when you submit to him, he can now begin to make this life, this physical life, actually demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. The spirit man. So this is Jesus Christ, technically. Jesus Christ, so if I said, does Jesus Christ have a mind? You'd say, yes, he does. Does he have eyes? Yes. Does he have ears? Uh-huh. Does he have a mouth? Yes, he does. Does he have a heart? He does have a heart. It's a good heart. You see, this man, this new man, this, this Jesus Christ, this second, this last Adam that has come, actually is a body, as, as we would know, but he's a spirit man. He's called the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, the spirit of God. However, we are able to enter into Christ in a strange way, this mysterious mystery of mysteries is called the mystery of godliness, how we actually are to live in Christ and his life becomes our life. His love becomes our love. Remember the old creature? His lust becomes our lust. His selfishness becomes our selfishness and our physical body begins to behave that way. Well, now when we enter into Christ, his love becomes our love. We are in him and therefore our physical life, our soul begins to show forth that which has influenced us, that which has power over us. The spirit man. So there's a new heart. If you're going to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, so let me ask you the question again. What's, what's your position? Yes. So according to Scripture, you are a new creature. 
You are a new creation. That's just a fact. So if you're a new creature, if you're a new creation, that means that you have all the sensory organs that you were originally intended to have. Okay, so when you were first created, you know, let's go all the way back to the days of Adam in the garden. When Adam's first created, there seems to be this model of a clothing, a dress, or a shimmering garment over Adam. And he's clothed, and we could say, in Christ. He's clothed in grace. And as a result, the Spirit of God is able to dwell in his image as a temple and is able to impress upon him how his physical body is to behave. And as long as he submits to that clothing, therefore the Spirit of God is able to work and have access in him. Well, that Spirit has a life, has an expression. That Spirit has a heart. You see, our heart is deceitful and wicked because it's been controlled by the creature, the old creature. But when we enter Christ, we are given a new heart. We are given a heart of flesh is what it says, but not the flesh, the bad stuff. It's a soft heart is what it means. No, one, no longer is it stone, but it is soft, and it actually begins to beat with his burdens. So we feel what God feels. When you enter into Christ, you begin to actually have a new heart, and you feel what God feels. So look at this. I put a heart in there. So there's a, there's a new heart, okay? And if I were to say, uh, what's your position? So if you're in Christ, that means you're a new creature. Would that follow then that you would have a new heart? Of course, no one's going to argue that. Of course you have a new heart. You have a new heart. We'll start taking advantage of that new heart. Most of us are afraid of what that new heart could bring to us. I mean, that we could actually feel what he feels, care about what he cares about. We're changed. No longer is it deceitful and wicked, but the center of our existence is now pure and right. We have the ability to be changed by Jesus Christ. A new heart also will I give you, says, he says in the Old Testament. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. He will give us a soft heart. This is the promise. And did he? He did. Ears. Unstopped to hear the word of the Lord and obey. Over here, the old creature's been clamping down on your ears. And anything that is tantalizing that will destroy your soul... You listen to. But anything that is of truth and of a different order that is spiritually discerned, the enemy clamps down and starts making a lot of noise. He doesn't want you to hear it. But now your ears are unstopped and you have ears, spiritual ears, new ears to be able to hear. Well, you can hear God. You can hear his word. You can hear his voice. You see, before you couldn't, but now something has changed and you can actually hear God. When you read his word, you hear him. He has a voice. He has a strong voice. And you can begin to discern it and understand it and hear it. Unstop to hear the word of the Lord and obey. So look at those ears. Do you see them? So we have new ears. You see, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You have a new heart. You have new ears. You see, there is something that has been gifted to you to actually control these ears. Now, when you hear God, do you hear with these ears? Not typically. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you're hearing with ears. Where are those ears? They're in this man. They're in Christ. When you're in Christ, you have new ears. You have a new heart. And so this is where we live. This is where we have it. And we have it by the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that is enunciating this new life. Whoa, look at that little collection of scriptures. Listen to what it says in Revelation. Now, this is all throughout Jesus, too. I actually took out almost all of these in the, in, in the New Testament. And I just decided I'd give you this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Well, and all of us could say, I have an ear. You, know, you have a physical ear. But do you have a, a new ear of a new man, a new creature? You see, when you're in Christ, you can hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Isn't that an amazing thought? To think that you won't miss it? If you're in Christ, you have spiritual ears. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You're going to notice that this sounds awfully familiar when I get to the third version of this. He that, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath an ear. Yes, I am reading something that sounds very similar, doesn't it? Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If any man have an ear, let him hear. You see, all of us could say, just in reading Revelation, we could say, well, I have an ear. How come I'm not hearing? Well, I'm not talking about a physical ear, and I'm not talking about an ear that is controlled by the old creature. We're talking about an ear 
that is in the newly circumcised life that is circumcised and cut off from the old creature by the blood of Jesus. And as a result, you've been given an ear, an ear to hear, smeared with blood so that now you can discern and hear and understand the command of the, of the living God. Eyes, to see the way and walk in it. Isn't that an amazing thought to think that we're given new eyesight? You know, there are things in this life that since you became a Christian, you're now starting to see. When you are so self-centered, you know that you hardly see even beyond your nose. But when you are awakened by Jesus Christ and you enter into his newness of life, you actually begin to see things. You see needs in people. You see what God sees. You see how much God loves someone. And it actually affects you. You see, there's a new man that you're in. You're thinking different now. You're actually reasoning through things in a completely different way. So your eyes are seeing the way of Jesus Christ, and you begin to walk in it. So look at those eyes. Yeah. And Elisha prayed and said, I pray thee, open his eyes. If that's not a great uh, picture of what, needs, what takes place in the New Testament. Could you imagine Jesus saying it this way? I pray thee, open the church's eyes. Open the new creation's eyes that they may see And the Lord opened his eyes to the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Elisha and his servant are surrounded by the Syrian army, two against an army. And what does Elisha pray? Open his eyes. What's he seeing with? He's seeing with spiritual eyes. You see, you as a new creature have spiritual eyesight. It's just a fact. So it sounds strange to say, well, yeah, I have a new heart, and I know that, but I don't have new eyes. You do have new eyes. And you can see things that you would never see before. So listen to Acts 26. When it's talking about the work, Paul's ministry, and it's talking about the work of what the cross accomplishes and what Jesus is actually saying, Paul, Paul's ministry of taking the cross and uh, the message of the crucified Savior to the world, that they would accomplish this, this end. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. To open their eyes, to turn them from this to this. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Nose. A new nose? What's nose, the nose for spiritually? It's called discernment. (laughs) Do you smell that? Something doesn't sound right about that, or something doesn't seem right about that. It's discernment. You see, when you're controlled by the old creature, you don't have discernment for spiritual things. It says that these things are spiritually smelled out or discerned. These things are in the new man discerned. If the church is not functioning over here and it's functioning in the grip of the creature, the old creature, it cannot discern. And as a result, wolves will have their way in the body of Christ. However, when you are in the new man, we are given a nose as individuals and as a corporate body to be able to sniff and to smell what God would smell and say, something's not right about that. Or something is right about this. Oh, look at that nose. There's the nose. You have to look closely, but it's there. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Do you have the discernments? Well, we do. We actually have the word of God, which is where we're testing everything. But we have senses that are trained in alignment with that word. So as a result, our sensory dimensions of the new man are being groomed as we exercise them. As I will show you, that's actually the term that is used in Scripture. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but sniff them. Okay, it says, but test the spirits. Smell them. You've been trained. You have the word of God. Smell them. Whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, in Christ, we actually have senses. We have a new man. We, ha- we are a new creature in Christ. Now, guess what? There's some of you that would be of the more Pentecostal persuasion that are just all over this message. You're like, aha, uh-huh, new creature. I like it. However, even those that would be of the more Baptisty sort are going to have to admit that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And yes, that means new eyes, new ears, new nose, uh, new heart. Those, those are things that just go with the territory. Mind. Now, no one's going to argue that. In fact, uh, for the more intellectual sort in here, like, hmm, that, that is a true one. Yes, we do have a new mind. Look at that mind. That's ah, one intense, amazing mind. We have the mind of Christ. Well, how do you have the mind of Christ? Well, you don't have the mind of Christ if you're submitting to the old creature and inflating eye. I'll tell you that. What is the mind of Christ? 
to deflate I, to allow I to enter into Christ, and then you begin to reason and think in concert and in agreement with the new man. We have a new mind, and that is the mind of Christ. We have the heart of Christ. We have the ears of Christ. We have the nose of Christ. It's called the word of God. We are able to test the spirits. We are able to know these things. How can we know them? Because we have the spirit of God. We are in Christ and we are new creatures. We are no longer as we once were, controlled by the depravity and the emptiness of our life. We had nothing to draw from, nothing of a spiritual nature to work with. But now we have the very spirit of Almighty God to take over our senses, to cultivate within this physical body the life of Jesus. Oh, did I just put that one up on the screen? Did that one accidentally get into the list? Aren't I supposed to skip over that one because that can create contention in the body? You know that this thing could create a contention in the church at Corinth, too. It's like, you're a new creature, everyone knows it, and then you have these people going, oh, what's this? This is chaos in the church. They were right. It was chaos in the church because it wasn't being wielded the way the new creature would wield it. When you wield something over here under a spiritual dimension, the way the old creature would wield it, you end up with some problems. And such is the state of affairs in Corinth. Do we have a new heart? Yes. Do we have new hearing? Yes. Do we have a new nose? Yes. Do we have new eyes? Yes. Do we have the mind of Christ? Yes. Well, it also says in Scripture that you have a new tongue. And by the way, that's not just for the Pentecostals. If you don't have a heavenly tongue, something's wrong. Do you follow me? Did you just, did I actually say that out loud? Oh, no, that's going to get me in trouble. Why? That's just facts. I didn't, say that, I didn't say it the way you thought I said it, though. I didn't say you must speak in tongues. That, that means something. That's a holder over here. I'm saying unless you have a heavenly tongue, something's wrong. Tongue. Oh, there's the tongue. That looks sort of like a mouth, a little off-centered, too. But there's a tongue in there. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. How would the spirit, remember the one that is actually enabling these senses to be cultivated? How does he speak? He speaks using a physical body with his own tongue. Isn't it an amazing thought to think of the spirit of the Lord having a tongue? And yet the spirit of the Lord has a tongue. He has eyes. He has ears. However you want to say that. It's a spiritual version of it. And so then he takes our eyes, takes our nose, takes our ears in this physical body and sensitizes them to the way they're supposed to function. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. What a strange statement. Do you know that the entire Word of God is built by the fact that these men were carried along by the Spirit of God to write? Well, it also follows that the Spirit of the Lord carries people along to speak. You see, this tongue is not meant to be just ours at our discretion, our use. If you hold your own tongue, it's not you holding it. It's the old creature. Either your tongue belongs to the old creature or the new creature you choose. Mm, that doesn't give us a lot of options in between, does it? And his word was on my tongue. Now, that's a great statement. Is the word on your tongue? Now, you could say the word of God in text and the word of God in person. What's on your tongue? What was on Paul's tongue? Jesus and him crucified. The word was on his tongue. And that is the evidence of the new creation. The word is on his tongue. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. In other words, they have no ability to speak. They stutter, they stammer. And yet what Jesus Christ does in his ministry is he touches a tongue, and he causes that tongue of dumbness to actually turn into praise and glory unto his name. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert." The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. So this is talking about ears and tongue. We are given by the Spirit of the Lord in the person of Christ the tongue of the learned. We are given a tongue that actually can instruct, can give the words of life to others. If you don't have a heavenly tongue, you can't do that. He took him aside from the multitudes, speaking of Jesus, and put his fingers in his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. What's Jesus touching a tongue for? How awkward. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed. 
and he spoke plainly. When Jesus touches a tongue, he changes a tongue. He causes it to work as it ought to work. Now, I know I'm in dangerous territory here. We just happen to be a body that is split right down the middle in regards to some of these issues of spiritual gifts and how they work and operate today and what should be the expectation of the Spirit of God at large in our generation, right now, today, in our bodies. And somehow I'm getting very close to this territory, and some of you are getting hot. And yet what I want you to know is there's no difference between having a new tongue and having a new heart. There's no difference between having a new mind and having a new tongue. You either have a heavenly tongue or you have an old creature tongue. And James, the book of James is written about that exact concept. He says, measure that man by his tongue. And if it is an earthly tongue, you can tell by these tests. If it is a heavenly tongue, you can tell by these tests. What are these scriptures for? Are we to throw them out because, oh, well, the canon is finished, therefore we have no need for scripture? The very scriptures themselves dictate the fact that we must have a heavenly tongue. We must have a tongue controlled by the Spirit of God, just as you must have ears controlled, just as much as you must have a mind controlled. You must have nose, uh, eyes, heart controlled, hands. This is the body of Christ. If you are in Christ, then in fact he is your head, and this is a new body. It's a new body in Christ Jesus. It's a new creature. Again, in Luke, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. When the tongue is touched by God, you have praise unto God. You have edification of the body of Christ. Do not fear this. Do not fear your tongue being God's property. Why would you? Well, some of you in here are like, I'll give you ten reasons. And all your reasons would be illustrations of what you've seen in abuse. If you see the real tongue bringing glory to Jesus Christ, when this tongue is operative for the kingdom glory and for the edification of the saints, why would you ever fear that? Hopefully that's what we're seeing every day in here. Why was Christ exalted to the highest place? Well, that every knee would bow, but also listen closely that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, something has been accomplished. Jesus says, it is better that I go to be with the Father. He is exalted. And there's something that is taking place in every one of us as Christians. And that is that every knee, this physical body, is literally bending. It's becoming a small eye. And that every tongue would confess. You see, this tongue is being grabbed. And he says, you know the truth. Speak it. The tamed tongue, the evidence that Big Eye is no longer in the house and the creature from the Black Lagoon is no longer in control. So I'm going to agree with the book of James on this one, and I'm going to say there's an evidence, there's a testimony that is given, and that is if you are a new creature, your tongue will bear witness of it. Now, what's happened is we have the uh, Assemblies of God denomination which has stood very strong on that one point that I just mentioned, and they say it's the speaking in a foreign tongue or a mysterious tongue or a heavenly tongue of a certain definition. And I would say that though I'm not going to oppose that statement, I'm not going to fully agree with it. I'm going to say the evidence is a heavenly tongue, and a heavenly tongue is shown forth by the fact that it is in agreement with Scripture and it sings to the praises of God. It enunciates the lordship and the mastery of Jesus Christ over the life. It submits to his word and confesses with faith the realities of the kingdom of heaven. And it is touched, it is drenched, and it is infused with love. That is supernatural and no man can construe it. You cannot confess that Jesus is Lord unless you are over here. So the evidences of it are in the tongue. However, May we not denominationalize this issue. May we understand that the tongue must be gained by the living God. This is a primary evidence of the Christian life. However, some people have made division on that exact point. And I'm not going to go in the direction over here or over here and say there's no such thing as a heavenly tongue. Yes, the heavenly tongue just looks exactly like this. And then I give you a sample of it. And none of you can understand it. And then some of you correct me with 1 Corinthians 14 and say, is there an interpretation? In other words, what am I talking about today? I'm not talking about a mysterious tongue being spoken and interpreted. I'm talking about a tongue that speaks plainly the glories of God. 
And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Half of us in this room try and avoid that, and half of us love it and bank our entire scriptural life right here. I would say every single one of us as Christians needs to love this moment. This is the empowerment of the Spirit of God in the body of Christ to enable us with the necessary equipment to function on this earth the way we must function. Without it, we can't function. Now what happens? These men begin to speak with other tongues, tongues that were not normal to their tongue. It was a heavenly tongue. And God is showing, I have their tongues. However, did you know that their tongues were discernible? It was a public environment, and their tongues were discernible. As strange as that is, they were interpreted. If you want to follow it that way, they were. But what was taking place? You know that when Peter got up in front of the multitude, what did he do? Brace yourself. I'm going to say he spoke with a heavenly tongue. Same man who was a coward and betrayed with an old creature tongue suddenly stands before a multitude and speaks with a heavenly tongue. That is what I want you to take notice of. 3,000 came into the church that day. A heavenly tongue is the first symbol of occupied territory. So let's not try and skirt around it. Our tongues are either old creature or new creature. And I submit to us as a body that each one of us submits our tongue to the living God and says, you must have it. You do with it what you see fit. The exercise of the new man. So one of the things that is really awkward about the issue of tongues is for most of us, it simply means, I mean, to some of us in here, you would call it gibberish or a stammering, an unintelligible idiocy. Some would say, no, it's a beautiful poetry of the Spirit of God speaking through me. However, uh, what happened in the church at Corinth is there was all sorts of division over this as well, because people were misusing something, and as a result, it created conflict. And Paul comes in with the first book of Corinthians. And what he's doing is he's saying, hey, people, you're missing the whole point. You could speak in the tongue of men and of angels. But if you don't have something very specific, it's nothing. Stop trying to build the church around something like that. There's something that is the center point. Don't miss it. Of course, that's 1 Corinthians 13. By the way, 1 Corinthians 14 is when he starts talking about tongues and prophecy. So let's make sure we remember the context for all these things. The exercise of the new man. But, through, but though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You have a spiritual body. You have spiritual senses, but if you do not exercise them, it's like the man who is entrusted with a talent and buries it. Each of us has been entrusted with things. You have sight. What should you do when you see something that God is showing you? Act. You have hearing. What should you do when God speaks to you? Speak or, I'm sorry, do. I just stole my answer for my next one. What should you do when God moves you with a heavenly tongue to speak? What should you do? I mean, it only follows, doesn't it? Get up and speak. Okay, so what's happening inside of us is something that is supposed to be controlled by him and not by old creature sensibilities. What I'm telling you is don't allow your tongue, have all these other faculties to be God's, and then you hold back and say, but this one I will never allow for God to do with it what he sees fit. And I'm here to tell you, you can trust your God. What he'll do with a tongue is always for his glory, never to the opposite. He will use your tongue to speak the words of life. Yes, at times it might be mysterious. You ever heard of a groan? You ever prayed with a groan? You know what I would say? Ah, you might be speaking in tongues. Because the Spirit of God knows that groan. He interprets the language of heaven. So if you would rather groan than say you know, something out loud, then groan. Just speak. You must groan when the Spirit of God is groaning. It's called prayer. And God uses this. God will take this spiritual voice, but as you cultivate it, as you exercise these senses, 
you will find that God will move in a greater way and your physical body will demonstrate in even a greater measure, greater level, the glory of God. Glossa. Uh-huh. See, it's not that intimidating of a word. It even sounds like some kind of uh, modern healthcare thing, you know, that you would have. But that's actually the new creature's tongue. Now, it's translated as tongues, but technically it doesn't have to be. It's just glossa. It is the new heavenly tongue. And every single one of us better have a new heavenly tongue. It, could, it might as well be saying a new heavenly eye, a new heavenly ear, a new heavenly heart. But this was the contention point because it was being misused. And the way the tongue goes is the way the whole body will go. Testing the tongue. Are you demonstrating a glossa that is supernatural? So I, I'm going to ask, this would be a good question, especially for the Pentecostals in here. The ones that are really uh, loving this message so far. If you speak in an unknown tongue for part of your life, and then for the rest of your life, your tongue is being wagged by the old creature, let me ask this question. Who holds your tongue? Does it really matter that you speak with an unknown tongue if the rest of your life and every other moment in your day is the old creature speaking with it? Who holds your tongue? I would rather have someone not speak in an unknown tongue, but spend every one of their words speaking words of life with their heavenly tongue. You follow me? That's the key question here. When we're testing the tongue, I do not want to take a side on at one, one angle or one extreme or the other. I want to make sure that we as the body of Christ recognize what a heavenly tongue is. Is every word spoken kind? Is every word that we speak kind, loving, honorable, life-giving, and God-glorifying? Because that's what a heavenly tongue does. Can you, does Jesus speak any words that are not of this nature, of his nature, of the nature of the Spirit of God? No. It says, in his mouth was found no guile. On his tongue there was no deceit. Isn't that an amazing thought? So do you have his tongue or do you have the old creature's tongue? Is he, so this will sort of level the playing field with all of us. The Baptists in here are like, yeah, give it to him, Ludie. <laughs> and then, you know, we still have to keep asking questions though. Is your tongue controlled by the old creature or the new creatures? Now the Pentecostals rise up again and go, yeah, hey, that's right. Have you ever given your tongue? And so I'll say that one too. Has your tongue been yielded? You see, it's just part of the body. You can't give your body to Jesus Christ and then hold back a portion. Some of us hold back our mind, by the way. Oh, yeah, Jesus, I belong to you. Boy, you have some weird ways of doing things. I don't know that I agree with that. Whoa, whole body, and that includes the mind. You submit to Jesus Christ, and what he says goes. His word is higher than your mind. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Ooh, wow. You see, you could say all sorts of things. You could preach all sorts of things, even about tongues. But if your own tongue is unbridled and controlled by the creature from the Black Lagoon, then guess what? Your religion, according to the book of James, is false. This is how you test the reality of the new creature. It's by the tongue. The tongue is the dead giveaway. Hang around with someone long enough and you'll find out truly where they sit, what their position is. Just listen. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how they're great, great a forest, a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. The tongue, when held by the old creature, is untamable. It is set on fire by the fires of hell. And it will destroy your life, as many of you have contested in your own existence. Your tongue is your greatest weakness. Some people would think it's their sexuality that's their greatest weakness. However, when they break it down, it's like, you know what? The tongue. What gets you into the most trouble? That crazy, unruled Black lagoonish tongue. I'm here to tell you, if you can feel convicted about that, there's one solution. Jesus. You see, he has circumcised you from this. He has crushed the head of that creature that has held your tongue. Yes, held your mind, held your ears, eyes, all those things. Since I'm speaking specifically about a tongue as a first symbol of occupied territory, he can set that tongue free. 
Or that tongue can be used to speak to your wife with kindness and sweetness instead of irritation and frustration. Can speak to your children with patience and long-suffering. You see, God has given us everything we need to be able to live in this body right here with supernatural new man power. James 3. This is how you test it. You can test to see if someone's words are coming forth from the black lagoon or if they are descending from heaven. The Spirit of God brings his words from heaven. Everything else in the flesh derives its words from the black lagoon. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Out of the same mouth, can we really have black lagoon stuff and heavenly stuff? Wait a minute. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, these words, this expression does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. It is from the Black Lagoon. From where evil, envy, and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above, there's a test for it right here. How will you know if the words are descending from heaven? Well, is there first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. I didn't say it. That's the word of God on the matter. Remember I started this out and I said this is one of those messages that could thoroughly trip up and offend every single person in here? And yet at the same time, I think it's a message that could richly encourage and edify every single one of us in here. The tongue. So when we look at this new tongue, that we've all been given. By the way, I mean, you still may be arguing the fact that you shouldn't have a heavenly tongue and you can live your Christianity without a heavenly tongue. I'm here to tell you that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you have new faculties of every sort and you cannot function in this Christian life without a new tongue. That is contrary and even James is saying it. How, how could, because this is the spring, this is where the living waters are coming from. If the, if the spring is giving out salt water, brackish water, then it's showing you that you do not have that new life as you are saying you do. There is something more that is meant to change you so that the waters that come out are pure. They're fresh. So we'll call the tongue the expression of the life. You see, when you say a tongue, what does a tongue do? It speaks what's inside. It's like the messenger. You know how when at those uh, Jane Austen books, you know, there's these balls and then someone comes to the door and is like, Introducing the uh, Earl of Her and the I can't remember any of the specifics. That's the way our tongue is. It announces what's in here. Introducing the creature from the Black Lagoon. And we step on and go, You see, what it shows is something that comes from below. It's a giveaway, a dead giveaway, that something is not right here. Okay, so the assemblies of God will say, it's the tongue you will know if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit because you speak in new tongues. And I'll say, you'll know that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit because your life will speak with the heavenly tongue. And it will share forth the glories of God and the love of God will be in every word you speak. That's how you know. You test it. First of all, all the words are pure. They're peaceable. They're gentle. They're loving. They're marked by a truth. And there's no hypocrisy. They're not speaking in another tongue that no one can understand and then every other moment they're screaming at someone. Something's wrong with that. That's not over here. That's over here. Something's wrong and that's why many of you are so frustrated with this topic and can't stand it. It's because it's been misused and there's been hypocrisy in it as opposed to allowing the pure unadulterated reality that God owns the tongue to be what comes forth in the church of Jesus Christ. The expression of the life is the tongue. The testimony of the creature. So which creature are you? Listen, 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 here it comes, here it comes. Uh-huh, there it is. It's the confession or the testimony of the creature. You will know their testimony by their tongue. How do you give a testimony? Well, you, you speak it. The confession of position. Confession involves a tongue. What's your position? That's right. So you don't want to, with your tongue, confess the opposite. Here you are saying with your tongue that you're in Christ. Well, you don't want to also say the next moment to show hypocrisy. Oh, yeah, I'm also still held by the old creature. 
It doesn't make any sense. It's a contradiction. Without hypocrisy, you know that the Spirit of God is speaking because the life is consistent. I recognize that in a new birth, as we are transitioning into this, we are vulnerable to this life. I'm not talking about Christian perfectionism where you move over here and you never have a flaw and you're never invaded and harmed by this old life. However, the tenor of your life, the overarching message of your life should be consistent. If you were to ask my wife if I've ever raised my voice in 20 years of marriage, test Eric, test him. Yes, he has. Have I ever done anything more than raise my voice? Don't ask her that. Of course I have. I've, I've misused this tongue and I've allowed old creature instinct to return. However, the overall tenor of my life is not this. It's this. And I would say, test yourselves. Test your tongue. You see, we as the body of Christ can be around you and we can know, but however, we can't truly test your soul. We can't test what's going on inside of you. Paul, what does he say? Just to mess with us. I speak with my glossa more than you all. Paul would never do that. Paul spoke with his heavenly tongue more than everyone in the church of Corinth. That's what he says. I thank my God I speak with my glossa more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. You see, Paul's desire, he says, with this tongue, I edify. That's my goal. You see, one of the interesting things he says about it is there is a life here of our relationship with God. And we have heavenly eyes, we have heavenly ears, and we wait upon God, we pray, we listen, and God speaks to us. And we pray. And we pray, and we communicate with God. And when we do that, we are actually edifying, it says, ourselves. It's not bad. It's good. We are edifying. There is a groaning. There is whatever you want to call it, language, that is a communication between this earthly life, this earthly being, and God. But it's a spiritual being that is praying. And it is seated in heavenly places with Christ or in Christ. And so Paul says, but my tongue is to edify. And I would much rather speak only five words amongst you with that heavenly tongue so that you would hear it and you would be built stronger than to try and impress you with the tongues of angels. See, he's interested in love expressing and building. So what he says in the same context is pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why? Well, because prophesy Prophesying is the edification of the body, the exhortation of the body by the tongue. So he says, you see, seek the cultivation of these senses, says Paul, so that you would be able to build up the body of Christ. Why would God give us this spiritual strength? For ourselves? For each other. Yes, we use this to build up ourselves so that we'll be stronger to give to each other. But what's the end game here? For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks, listen to this word, edification, which means to be built up, and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. You see, they're both the use of the same device. However, one is the use, and Paul is saying, what's his whole book in 1 Corinthians about? Love. He says, guys, whoa, 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 rein it in here. This whole device is to edify and to build up others and to glorify God. Some want, to, want the new heart and mind. In other words, they don't want the tongue. They just want the new heart and the new mind. It's like, hey, yeah, I have a new heart and I have a new mind, but I leave all the other sensory things behind. But wish to leave the new tongue behind, the new ears behind. You, know, you don't need that. We can't actually hear God anymore. We only hear him through text. Well, hey, you take your text. I'll take the text and the spirit of God that wrote it, please. But the glossa isn't merely for speaking mysteries. This is the important thing I want you to hold on to. There is a form of tongues that is revealed in Scripture, and to try and say that it's not there is to deny Scripture. There is a form of tongues, or the use of the glossa, of the heavenly tongue, that speaks mysteries. But the glossa isn't merely for speaking mysteries. It's for building up the body of Christ. Now, some of you could say, and for preaching the glory. That would be perfectly accurate. However, When Peter gets in front of the city of Jerusalem, what does he do with his tongue? He doesn't just speak something unintelligible. He doesn't speak a mystery. He speaks boldly and courageously the word of God. And what happened? 3,000 came into the church. The glossa 
is for building the body of Christ. The prime evidence of the new creature. Now, some of you could say the prime evidence is the glory of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit being shown. Uh Uh-huh, it is. And I'm going to bake it down. It's the expression of the life, a love-empowered and love-infused tongue. I'm using tongue not as just a physical appendage sticking in your mouth. I don't even know what it's called an appendage. What is that, an organ? What, What is the tongue? I'm not just talking about a physical thing. I'm talking about that which is behind it. This new life is going to express itself. In the physical body, it uses the tongue. So I'm going to use that symbol of saying our tongue as a church is the evidence that we are changed. Our tongue as an individual life needs to be love-empowered and love-infused. Not just that it speaks mysteries, but that it speaks love. Our expression, our testimony, our confession is love. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Whoa, Jesus is saying it himself. He's saying, hey, guys, this is how you will know. Some of us could stop and say, I could fill in the blanks on this one. It means that they speak with a mysterious tongue that no one can understand. No, that isn't what Jesus says. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one unto another. What is the evidence of the new creature? It's love. It's love grabbing a hold of a tongue, and now when you speak, the words are love-infused. They preach when they need to preach. They empathize when they need to empathize. They pray when they need to pray. Your tongue is no longer your own. It's been bought with a price. Every single one of us in here, I want us to freshly consecrate our body unto the new creature, unto the new man, unto the Spirit of God to have us in whatever way he sees fit to use our eyes, our ears, our mind, our heart, any way he would deem fit, and to take our tongue and call it his. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this two-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.